You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Page to Stage. A conversation with theater makers. We're your hosts. That's Brian. And that's Mary. Join us as we focus the spotlight back on the theater maker to uncover their process. We speak with folks in the industry that often aren't heard from. Such as stage managers, producers, crew members, marketing professionals. And everything in between. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hi, my name is Daniel Cuny. I run KGM Theatrical. We're a Broadway and off-Broadway and touring general management company. And since the pandemic, have also started Tenglo.com, which is a video streaming platform for theater artists and those looking to hire theater artists. I'd love to look at the role of a general manager. Could you walk us through the timeline of how a general manager is introduced to a project and, and how your role kind of moves throughout um, the life of the show? Yeah, sure. So in general, uh, your general manager is going to be one of the very first hires you make on a show. So if you're a commercial producer and you option the rights to a show, you probably have a lawyer at that point to help you uh, go through the legal paperwork of optioning the show. But then you actually need to figure out what's your business model. And that's where the general manager comes comes in. So we normally come on very early on in the process. And we help. The, very, the first exercise we do is we do a budget for the show. How much is it going to cost to mount the show? Is it a Broadway show or an off-Broadway show or a tour? Uh, is it a musical? Is it a play? What are the specifics of that production? You know, how big is the cast? Are there any stars in the cast? How big do you want the physical production to be? So we help the producers figure out how much the show is going to cost, how much they're going to need to raise from their investors. Because um, we're commercial. I'm a commercial general manager. So we work... Every one of our shows is essentially a startup. And we're helping the producers create this startup and craft it from the very beginning. We have so many questions about all those little specific things that you just mentioned are a part of the process. I'm wondering, how do you get hired as a general manager? How do you form those relationships with producers? And what is that process like of sitting down with a producer and explaining how you are going to efficiently run their production? For them. Such a great question. You know, like everything else, I think it's largely networking, it's experience, it's your credits. Um, but yeah, you've got to sort of take, you know, do, do the do the show, you know, get out there and invite people out to coffee. Uh, I don't know if that's a thing we still do these days. But you know, take the meetings, get in front of people. Um, I've certainly, you know, I, when I was building my business, you know, I think I was mostly taking people out on coffee dates or, or meeting them in their office and introducing myself. Uh, now, more or less, you know, it was 
pre you know, before we, the shutdown, we had start, started to get to the point where it was we had a record at that point. We had success. You know, we had managed Heather's and Rock of Ages and Slava Snow Show. Um, so people came to us because of our specific experience, uh, Puffs being one of them. You know, we've kept a lot of off-Broadway shows running for a very long time. Uh, it's very hard to make an off-Broadway show work. So I think to some extent, we were getting the reputation as, as the firm that knew how to do that. Um, but, you know, before there was a reputation, it, it was about the networking. What did your team look like in the beginning when you first started your company? And how did you figure out when it was right to bring on more people to your team so that you could efficiently run the office and, and these productions? Oh, I love these questions. Because what you're really driving at here is that building any business is it's a startup right and so we're we're balancing cash flow and money coming in and uh you know when you're going to be ready to you know build up your office so i love these kinds of conversations because it's not just about theater it's really about you could be creating an app and dealing with the same pain points i think what's interesting for where i was in the business you know my firm was a startup for a while until we weren't and then my firm helps other startups start up. So it was very meta. How are you looking to diversify your client roster? What I always tell potential clients when they're choosing a general manager, and I think the same works in reverse when the general manager is deciding whether you know to take on a certain client, is you know it doesn't matter what general manager you hire. If we're all pretty competent, we're all going to come to pretty much the same budget, right? The, the contracts are all going to look pretty much the same. There's so much that's standard. You know, we'd like to think every time we direct or, or uh, do a new director contract, we're reinventing the wheel and you know, that a couple of royalty points here or there that you know, one general manager is going to do better than the other. It's all going to land in roughly the same place. It's really about who you want to work with at the end of the day. Um, and especially, I think, as we're all reevaluating our lives during the shutdown, I think we're all sort of thinking, you know, who is the person I want by my side? Who are the clients we want to take on? Um, and the same is true for the people who want to hire us. You know, like, am I the person? Is my staff the people that you want to guide you? And it's just about fit at the end of the day. Speaking of staff, so when did Your you, question. how many, how many, back to my question, <laughs> how many people do you have working for you? And when did you feel it was right to build your team? Yeah, you know, there's that expression that sort of circulates around startup culture, hire when it hurts. I think that's pretty apt. I always hired right before I was fully comfortable hiring. You know, I could sort of see that we were all getting a little bogged down. Um, you know, look, the, the company started in my apartment on the Upper West Side, uh, Living Room Central. We slowly built out the team as we were getting more clients, as I could tell that, you know, somebody on the staff was getting overworked or needed a little bit more relief or Interestingly, if somebody had a skill set that I thought, oh, you know, that's something that this person should really focus on, and I'm making this up a little bit, you know, accounting. This person can really walk our clients through the accounting side of the work. This person is really good at budgeting. This person is really good at contracting and, and negotiations. Um, but yeah, I mean, we had, I think, about 12 to 15 people, depending on how you're counting, right before the shutdown. Now we're, you know, we're a little bit all dispersed, sort of waiting for the world to come back on. But yeah, went from my living room to a full staff in Times Square. So then when you, when you do get hired for a production, what are the next steps uh, in building a budget? So I always like to say that some people come to us with a budget number in mind. And some people come to us with the vision for the production first. And so a budget can actually start in one of those two places, but it kind of has to start from one of those. So what do I mean by that? Let's say you, you want to produce Titanic the Musical on Broadway. And you come to me and you're like, all right, Daniel, I want to do Titanic. It's got a star, Denzel Washington, Tom Cruise, uh, Viola Davis... Um, and I want the ship to sink in 500 gallons of water eight times a week. That's the that's a vision, right? That's a pretty clear vision. I'm like, all right, like A-list Hollywood talent. You know, they're fifty thousand dollars a week plus a piece of the back end. 500 gallons of water on a Broadway stage. That's a very expensive trick plus a lot of insurance. I can take a vision and put a number to it, or someone can come to me and say, Daniel. 
I'm so passionate about Titanic. Uh, I've got to tell the story on Broadway. I, I, I've got 10 million. What can I do for 10 million? And I can also back into it like that. I'm like, all right, you know, you're probably not hiring Denzel. Probably not going to happen. Uh, there's probably not a water effect, but maybe there's a projection of a ship sinking. And so I can help a producer take a cost and a passion for something um, and find the vision and the path forward for it. The thing that tends to happen when we do a budget, and I'm sure this is, you know, if you want to remodel your home or, or redo your kitchen, it's always more expensive than people want it to be. You know, they get the numbers and they're like, that is, that's crazy. Props, very contentious <laughs> uh, topic of conversation between designers, general managers, and producers. And I think there's this sense that um, props should be pretty cheap. Right. Oh, it, it's just make it up, you know, a water bottle. Like I can send an intern down to, you know, some dollar store and, and buy the water bottle. But chances are the water bottle actually has to function in a certain way eight times a week. It has to have some sort of stamina to it. It may need actual water in it. It may need a certain amount of heft in it. Maybe they're dancing with the water bottle. Um, very quickly, you need an artisan to come in and if not craft a new water bottle, you know, make that water bottle perform the way it needs to perform in the show. And that artisan is a real human being who has spent time crafting their art, the art of props making. And, you know, maybe not only do you need the human artisan to make that prop, but that one prop isn't going to last eight times a week. You may think it's going to last, but it may not last eight times a week. You know, something that we do hear a lot is, you know, why can't we just get an intern for this? Why can't we just hire someone at NYU to, to make this? And, you can't uh, at the end of the day. Like it is a skill. And, you know, when you're working in commercial theater, you have to pay for that skill. The audience won't forgive you if, if you don't. And especially first time producers who I love to work with, I are very shocked at the cost of budgets and how much it actually costs. And one thing I always say to them, you know, you can do a show for $50,000. I don't know how to do that show. It is possible. We know college students all across the country are doing it every single weekend pre-pandemic. Um, that is a feasibility. But it's because they're willing to construct the costumes in their bathroom. They are willing to raid their closets. Um, and that's fantastic. Uh, but if you option the rights to do a show off-Broadway you're not going to have that kind of buy-in. You know, these are people you're hiring. They're your staff. They're your employees. You have to treat them with respect. So, you know, people say like, but like, I know shows can cost 50. Yes, they can cost. You can do a show, rent a theater, rent a space, and do it for $50,000 next weekend. It's not an off-Broadway show. It's not a Broadway show. Okay, so on the same topic of budget, so on KGM's website, um, you say that KGM helps clients create award-winning theatrical productions that are both financially profitable and artistically groundbreaking. So I'm wondering if there are any secrets, I guess, to creating a budget so that the show is in the black and, is, and in recoups. Yeah, I think the secret is listening to the creative team. You know, what's great about our process is that you have a creative team who comes, they, 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 they're passionate about executing something in a certain way, but at the same time, they want the show to run. And so when you can really engage everybody in the process, you know, I think sometimes there's this misconception that it's management against the creative team. Oh, it's the management. They're, they're blocking us. They're not giving us the funds. But when we work together, we can actually solve some really interesting problems. And then when you go to a creative team and you say, look, you know, we, we think we're going to make you know, $500,000 a week. The show's currently coming in at $600,000 a week. Let's find the moments that are really important We'll execute on those. And the moments that you know we, we, we would have been nice to have, maybe we can call those back. But when we all work together, we can create a financial, a product that is financially smart uh, and well executed and artistically um, well executed. I'm wondering if you can speak to the 
you know, because everybody is always wondering when shows recoup and sometimes shows go public with their recruitment rates and some don't. Uh, they do say that the typical rate of recruitment on Broadway for Broadway musicals is 20 percent. I'm wondering if you could say the same for off Broadway with your experience. Uh, I, if I had to guess, it's probably less off Broadway. You know, when I started in the business, there were very successful off Broadway shows. Um, in fact, like people would go see commercial off Broadway, as I would sort of say a, a badge of pride. Like, oh, I, you know, it's sort of like you might hear somebody say, oh, you know, I don't watch uh, HBO, I watch PBS, right? I, I think like that was sort of something people said. You know, oh, I, I don't go see the big musicals. I see the latest x show off broadway there were plays that were profitable off broadway once upon a time uh wit was a commercial production or transferred to a commercial production off broadway how i learned to drive was a commercial production off broadway you see that less and less these days so i do think there are less shows that recoup off broadway so of course, you know, once a show is closed, there are still other ways that the producers can still make money off of it. And of course, the writers. I'm wondering, do you, are those conversations about, you know, if, if the statistics are as staggering as you suggest with not recouping their money off Broadway, of course, a lot of times shows want to go to Broadway, go out for licensing to regional theaters, all that kind of stuff. Are those conversations a part of that initial production, are you involved in those conversations in any way and to figure out a budget for that kind of thing as well? So like take all those things into consideration so that, you know, funds are still available for X, Y, and Z down the road. Uh, so much to unpack there. The, the short answer is we don't budget for the future. Um, you know, the money is so tight. When a producer goes out to raise funds, they're raising money for an LLC that has a very limited uh, scope of what that LLC is telling their investors they're going to take on. We are going to raise money for an off-Broadway show in New York City. It tends not to be and gets a lot murkier. And I just have only seen it done in very unique circumstances. Uh, but it gets very hard to take someone's money and say, look, we're going to raise $2 million. We're going to spend $1.5 on the off-Broadway production. And then we're going to have 500000 left over for you know, a Cincinnati production. It feels, I mean, to stick with your original quote of it being a startup, it feels very much on brand with that. Like when you would raise capital for, you know, a startup or when you're raising or you're trying to, you know, get investors for an idea, you're really just sticking with the foundation. You're not, you're not thinking of like any kind of a future potential franchises. Exactly. And for the most part, the way we structure the LLCs that run commercial theaters, that each show is its own LLC. So if you are uh, a big Broadway show and you're very successful and you go out on multiple tours, it's very likely that each tour is its own LLC. Or if they're going to do it, you know, sometimes maybe uh, the tour is roughly the same. So they capitalize that tour under one LLC. But almost every production is its own business that has to be separately funded and separately sustainable. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, I mean, just a follow up question. I, and I don't know if, if you've been involved in any capacity to this sense, but you talk about, you know, national tours like that. Are, are Is there one general manager for all those tours or are they usually um, multiple general managers working for the umbrella company you would try to have the same general manager i mean you know i've been working on rock of ages for close to 10 years now um and so we just have so much institutional knowledge of that show and what it needs to be successful um i i would hope that the producers would only want to use us uh at this point Moving on to negotiations. Um, so as a general manager, you're, you're responsible for negotiating on behalf of the producers. So can you talk about the types of contracts that you're typically negotiating throughout the process of a show and who you're negotiating with? Sure. Um, so yes, you, you said it right. You know, I, I always like to tell people an actor has an agent that negotiates on behalf of them. We negotiate on behalf of the producer. 
Um, so I would say 90, 95% of the negotiations that we enter, enter into are with the actors or the creatives representative, an agent. But, you know, everything is a deal, right? You know, we have to get lighting and sound into the theater. So we're negotiating with the vendors that supply that equipment on a deal. Um, we have to secure a theater. So we're negotiating with the theater owner on the terms of that deal. There's a merch company. We're negotiating the terms of the merch. I mean, as you can imagine, with a startup, nothing is there uh, until we start making every single deal. How are you involved? In, or what are the differences in the way that you're involved versus the producer's lawyers? Or how are you working with them, I should say? Oh, that's such a great question. So by and large, the way you would structure negotiations on a Broadway show is that the lawyer, the, the, the production counsel, would do the initial contract for the author group. Because as we've sort of touched upon on this episode already, the author's contract is the thorniest. Um, and what's negotiated in that contract has repercussions for the investors, you know, potentially 40 years from now. Um, and so it's a very lengthy, very complicated contract. Um, and that's something normally production counsel does. General managers does, uh, we would handle most of the creative team. So your designers, we hire all, we do the contracts for all of the performers, uh, a lot of the staffing backstage. It used to be general managers were the only ones that touched the director agreements. But as directors are starting to get involved earlier in the process and in the writing of the show and taking on an authorial role, I tend to do, we tend to do a lot of director agreements in tandem. My office might take the lead on it, but production council is, is very much involved in a director agreement. So in the instance where the producer and the writer are kind of working on something together from the, you know, from early stages, is it typical that, that they would bring a GM on at that point or would they bring a GM on first before anything really gets started because you're dealing with contracts and dealing with rights and, and that kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, like I said, we, we, we are typically want the second hire on every show. If the, if the production council's first, we're number two. Uh, and I always like to say the earlier, the better. Um, because also, we have relationships with regional theaters. We have relationships with roadhouses. We can really help craft a plan about how the show gets to New York. Um, which from the shows that we get involved with, that's the end goal. Um, how do we get to New York? Um, and so we also, because we're, we're talking to the theater owners and we have a sense of what's on their schedule, what's on their roster, what they're trying to program for, we can help guide those conversations. Like, oh, you know, we think next season there's going to be an opening or next season there's not going to be an opening, but maybe we can try to go to Chicago first. Um, so the earlier, the better. We can really help make the most effective plan. Yeah, we didn't even get into that, but that's such a good point of like, I mean, there's only so many Broadway houses and there's only so many off-Broadway houses in New York. So if they're all filled up for this season and most of next season and the producer or the writer really want to get the show out in the next X amount of months, <laughs> you probably have to get really creative with your, with your options. Because I'm even like the out-of-town tryout go-to places, you know, there's only a handful that are really popular that people are going to, producers particularly, will want to try to get to, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you've touched on, I think, one of the biggest, uh, I'm hesitating to say the word issues, but Road problems with, yeah, with, with, with commercial theater. Uh, there are 41 Broadway theaters, and a lot of them are filled with shows that are not leaving anytime soon. Now, depending on, you know, look, this is a commercial marketplace. So depending on where you fall in that equation, this is either the best thing in the world or a systemic problem that is forcing a lot of voices down and needs to be solved um, before there should be a future of commercial theater. What are your thoughts on that? Like, where do you stand on that spectrum? Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. 
Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I think there are voices that have stories to tell that are not getting the opportunity to tell those stories. And it makes me sad for what gets on a Broadway stage. Yeah. Yeah, I would I agree with that. And a lot of the show, oh, sorry, a lot of those theaters are also run by nonprofits too. So they're automatically taken out of the equation. So there's even less than 41 for a commercial production to actually come in and try and make way for themselves. And of course, the long running hits that are not going anywhere any, anytime soon. <laughs> it's crazy to think that maybe there's only 20 yeah, I mean, and look, you know, to be fair, you know, the long running hits are great for the industry, right? I mean, people come to New York, they come to Broadway because of the long running shows. They and they then they'll brand see another Broadway. two on their trip. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, you know, it's it's not totally binary. Um, oh, you know, let's get rid of the long running shows. But I think it is pretty clear, and you know, what's I think really wonderful right now about the the reckoning that is happening all over the country but in you know in our industry as well is that we're really coming we have to grapple with this fact that there are people out there with stories and they still can't get broadway buildings and that's a problem and we really have to figure out how to address that i'm wondering what are some of the responsibilities you have as a general manager once the show has opened and how does that you know alter things and you know as you keep going with the show that's long running especially like rock of ages has been out for quite a while yeah so i think to go back to our startup metaphor it's you know we are before production opens we are trying to get a startup off the ground every single hire every single contract we have to staff up we have to get ready we have to build the sets build the costumes get it into the theater open on a budget advertise the show market the show and then once it's up and running it becomes how do we maintain a business each week um and from a just a very simple way of looking at it and I'm, i am oversimplifying you know how much money is coming in each week? Is that less or more than the amount that it costs to run the show? And you know, if more money is coming in than it costs to run the show, you're great. Uh, but if not, you have to take a step back and say, "All right, if we're going to make a go of this, what do we have to adjust here?" Sorry, would you, would you say that you're spending less attention on these shows that have been running longer uh, than um, than particular shows that are you're just trying to get off the ground? You know, think about Google. You know, the ultimate startup or Apple, right? Like they they struggled for so long to figure out product market fit. They finally got there. Uh, I don't think those people at the top are resting for one second. You know, I mean, at that point, you're you're an operation and you go into uh, problems of having money. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather have that problem than not, but you suddenly, there's money on the table. And so there's constantly things that you have to be asking, HR decisions, um, and something that I think we all need to do a better job of. You know, we're, we all, so many of us, I came from a theater background. Uh, I think most people who get into the management side come from, you know, an arts training background. We didn't really get trained to be HR, um, you know, people, but we are. We're managing lives. And so um, you suddenly become a corporation and responsible to human beings. And that is an awesome responsibility. Um, awesome as in you know, there's a gravity there. There's a heft there. And how do we make sure that the company's being taken care of week after week? And those questions get thornier the bigger and more successful you get. See, when the pandemic first hit, I remember, or maybe it was, maybe it was closer in like in the summer, where I was like, 
Robbie doesn't really have an HR department, but I really, I mean, then I started thinking and you kind of just said it too. Like, I guess it really is the GM office, which also houses company managers. I mean, there are probably some things that a company manager wouldn't necessarily do that would be HR related, but I'm assuming maybe the GM off, like, you know, the GMs would, would it handle all those backs up things. to our desk. And I think there's a case to be made that maybe that's a mistake, a fundamental flaw in how we've decided to staff commercial productions. I think that's a good debate to have, but yes, I mean, when New York state came out with the wage protection laws about five or seven years ago, that fell onto the GM offices to, to implement. Thankfully, you know, the world started being aware of sexual harassment in the entertainment industry and the Me Too movement. The sexual harassment policies and implementing that and getting people to sign off on that and going through, um, you know, when there is an issue, uh, that also falls onto the GM office. And now that COVID is a thing, figuring out how to protect everyone backstage, protect the audience, that's falling on the GM office. A reasonable person might say, that's too much. You know, we, we need, there needs to be an office out there that specializes in diversity and inclusion and an office that, you know, handles more HR stuff. So many of us, as I said, were my training in college was singing and dancing and, you know, the Meisner technique. We're all adapting and we're trying to do the very best that we can. But I think there's a case to be made that we're not doing a good enough job and that maybe separating some of these things from the GM office would be a good thing as we try to create a more fair and equitable workplace. Have you had any, I mean, pre-COVID were you having or ha- had you had any conversations around this idea with producers? I mean, yeah, I mean, to some extent, yes. Um, okay. But it's, you know, it's so hard to change the the business model um, overnight. And so it's yeah, going to well, be going to have to be a big shift. Yeah. Well, the reason why I was asking was because I was I have a feeling that it probably will be more common in conversations with producers moving forward as we look to reopen, at least I hope so. Um, maybe not with shows that are currently paused, but with any kind of future and new productions that are in coming up the pipeline. One can only hope. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk a little bit about how to close a show because, I mean, there are definitely standard questions or things that come to mind, at least on my end, for a GM. But something that I never really thought to ask a GM is, is if there's any kind of protocol or as like, you know, as a budget keeper, you know, um, I imagine that a closing notice is not something that is a surprise to you, right? Because you're in the, you're in the budget almost every day. You're understanding where, what the grosses are, you know, if you're in the black or in the red and what that looks like. And so how far, how far in advance are you aware that a show has a potential to close? And is there a long period of time where you have that mm, information or is it, you know, three weeks? Oh, such a good question. Um, all right. So let's put aside the question of the limited run, right? Like you get a show with Julia Roberts. She's going to be in the show for 16 weeks. Like there's a closing date from the time there was an opening date. Put that aside for a second. Your, your commercial production, you want to be open-ended. When do you know, when do you start to get that spidey sense? I, I would say for me at this point, it's pretty early on. The more difficult problem becomes, and this is where the role of a general manager can be a little bit like a therapist. I'm sort of the dispassionate third party here. I'm the hired gun. Um, I have another show coming down the pike. Uh, For a producer, this may have been the thing that they've been championing for a decade. They have investors. A lot of money that is funding Broadway and off-Broadway shows is very personal money. It's not VC money. It's not like there's this venture capital firm that's funding all these shows. It's people's aunts and uncles and parents and college funds. Um, Getting producers to a place where they can see that the time has come uh, is a very challenging uh, thorny process that requires, unfortunately, as someone who's dispassionate about it, uh, it requires a lot of patience. And so I can see how that process, my goal is to try to get to the producer there as quickly as possible. 
because again, we have humans on the line, right? If you post a closing notice with one week's notice, something went wrong. You probably saw that coming. And I'm not saying it, 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 there could be so many failures there. You know, was it that the general manager couldn't get the producer to that place? Was the general manager not engaging with those hard conversations? So much easier not to have hard conversations, not to tell someone that their baby is um, not working the way they want it. Um, but whenever I see a closing notice with one week's notice, there's a story there. And it's, it's generally not a good one. I love that answer. <laughs> <laughs> Just from my personal experience, I've seen a lot of company managers that then grow to become general managers. And then maybe not in that same trajectory, but parallel, even a lot of general managers go on to become producers. And so I'm curious if, if, if A, if you've also seen that trend, and then B, is it because that they're getting they're working very closely with that with the, with those people? So then that exposure and that education kind of it it makes sense to gradually move. Is there any is there any reason why that tends to be the case where company managers go to to, to be GMs and GMs go to be producers? So many reasons. How much time do you have? Um, <laughs> all right. So let me try to answer as much as I can for you. Um, if you want to be a commercial producer, I think there's no better job in the world for you than a company manager. You are literally cutting the checks. You're seeing where every penny is going. And you can really start to learn, oh, like this was a great... I'm so glad the producer decided to spend $10,000 a week on this. I can see that that's helping in the box office. Or I can see that the physical therapy is... Um, is keeping the cast happy backstage. I can see how the dollars and cents are having an impact on the show. Company manager, you've got a front row seat to that. It's the best seat in the house. Um, so that's why I think uh, many company managers can become producers. Or if you want to be a producer, I think a company manager is a great position for you. I actually don't see a lot of company managers becoming general managers. Um, one, most general managers are entrepreneurs. They're starting up their own shop. I, I don't know if you guys ever watched um, uh, The Good Wife, but I actually would watch that show a lot. And it, it was about a Chicago law firm and the partners were always breaking up with one another and starting new law firms and stealing clients and then making up five years later and bringing all their clients back together and then breaking up again. And I would watch it. Like, that's a little bit of sort of what happens with some of the offices backstage on, you know, in New York, um, you know, you've got to sort of have some hustle in you if you want to be a general manager. You've got to say, "All right, I'm going to be in charge of people's lives and their salaries and start my own business." Um, and not everyone has that in them. Um, but another reason some people might graduate from like company manager to associate general manager, which is more of a, a staff position than an equity position, uh, you know, look, the company manager lifestyle is hard. Uh, especially on commercial theater. You're reporting to an office four to five days a week. You shouldn't be there 40 hours. Most are. And you're going to the theater four to eight, you know, depending if you have an assistant or not, some people don't. Uh, you could be at the theater at night uh, eight times a week. Um, that's a hard lifestyle. And I think you see a lot of people in their 20s uh, who can pull it off, but they start to age out of that lifestyle pretty quickly. Very interesting. Because I remember there really aren't like, Maybe I just wasn't looking at it like in the right places at the time, but I just feel like there aren't even like college programs that are centered. I mean, I guess it would be arts management or arts admin would be that would be the closest. Um, and then from there, you'd get internships. Um, but yeah, I was found, found that very fascinating that there wasn't like a man. I guess, yeah, I guess it is management that I don't know. But I, I mean, feel like I know the Columbia has a take, program, but I don't know much hmm. about the um, I don't know much about their producing program. So to pivot to Tenglo, Tenglo, I'm sure has been a big pivot in your career since the pandemic. And so many people are uh, using that word pivot lately because everybody's got one now. Um, at what point, or can you actually just explain what Tenglo is? Yeah, sure. So it's a total pandemic pivot. Had not thought about this a second before the shutdown, but started to think about it in April, just sort of sensing, oh, you know, there's probably a need here to do something that is streaming and 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 theatrical. Um, 
I, my wife gave birth to our, our son in May, so I was kind of taking some time off anyway around that time. And when I came back, you know, sort of surfaced, you know, in early summer, a lot of people seemed to be solving that problem, right? Like a lot of people also had that idea and were executing on it and, and doing it quite well. But what I also observed was that a lot of the streaming platforms if not all of the streaming platforms that were created for theater during that time, there was still a gatekeeping process. Not just anybody could get their work on those platforms. And partly that was just a technological issue because I know the white label software that a lot of them were using because we looked at them that, that same software for Tenglo. And essentially, they're great if you are trying to be a Netflix for so-and-so, if you're trying to be a Netflix for the theater, which I think a lot of them are, right? They're subscription platforms. You pay them $7.99 a month. They're figuring out the content on there. They're curating the content on there. They're procuring the rights to get the content on there. Um, they're Netflix for theater, which is great. I'm so glad that exists. Um, but what if you're an emerging artist? What if you're a composer that hasn't gotten past a gatekeeper yet, that hasn't had their chance? You're probably not going to be on one of those platforms. So we wanted to do something from a technological level that was putting artists back in the driver's seat. So our big motto at Tengla is that anyone, anywhere in the world, any time of day, can create a profile and upload their work and share it with the world. Um, we're trying to solve the the marketplace problem of theater, right? If you think of it as sort of buyers and sellers, I, I know that's a bit of a crude term, but go, go with me for a second here. You know, you have performers who are trying to get hired. You have composers who are trying to get their works optioned. Those are the those are the sellers. They're trying to sell their talent or or what what they have. But then you have the buyers. You have producers, artistic directors, literary agents, casting directors who are trying to find those people. Can we aggregate that all, all those people into one place? Can we have some curation over all of that? So our initial premise was really about build, bringing the buyers and sellers of the commercial marketplace together. We've learned a lot in the last few months. I think we have some exciting new features coming. I think there's still a need for that marketplace, but I think there might be a need that's greater than that to help artists get paid for their work. And so that's sort of the next big problem that we're going to try to solve. Yeah, it really sounds like, I know you use like the Netflix model as an example, but it really sounds like what Tenglo is, is more of like the YouTube channel for, for, for theater and for musical talent, because the artist is really in control of what they're putting out there on this platform. And even to go further than that, it does seem that, you know, if you were to just go to YouTube to look up something, I mean, you're going to get so many insane you just can't find the right search criteria for most things so it is nice to know that what you're going to be looking at on Temglow is um while it's not curated it is still put up there by people with aspirations to do something with their work or who are looking for collaboration in some sense or it's definitely more like brand specific than just general search terms on youtube yes and, and that was the initial problem we were trying to solve you know as someone who works with producers who are trying to find new work, it is very hard to go to YouTube and type in new musical, right? Like that's a term that makes so much sense in our world, but you feed that to YouTube and like you will get everything. And it's just, you cannot <laughs> find uh, the work of composers that way. That was the initial problem that we were trying to solve. And I think we, to some extent, we, we solved that sort of well, and we'll continue to work on that. But I think getting money into artists' hands is is sort of the next interesting problem to us. So I'm always so interested, uh, or I am, I have been increasingly more interested in these COVID initiated projects of how you or how artists are going to take what they've done during the pandemic and either keep it going in, in in the same fashion that they've been able to keep it going during the pandemic or how they're going to transition or go back to their other jobs to, that they had pivot. before. <laughs> yeah, to pivot back to whatever, <laughs> pivot in a circle. Um, but I'm wondering how you see this uh, working in tandem with your uh, general management uh, skills and uh, office. Yeah, I'm a general manager first and foremost. I mean, I've spent my entire career building up to that. I love helping people produce their shows. I love trying to figure out the 
business challenge of how to make a commercial production successful. Uh, I, I grew up loving live theater. Uh, live theater for me is just so magical. And the fact that I, I just happened to stumble into some business skills that can help make live theater uh, sustainable makes me really happy. It gives me a lot of purpose in life. So I'm never leaving that. Tenglo, I love what Tenglo does as well. You know, sometimes as a general manager, you know, I am the negotiator, right? Like I am the person negotiating the contract. And, you know, uh, it, it fills me with a certain sense of pride to get a good deal that works for with everyone. But there's something I'm finding very satisfying about the work of helping artists um, get their work out there in the world with Tenglo. Um, and so I, 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 we wrote a little bit about this on the site, but we, we're, our goal for Tenglo is to be a zebra company. You know, you talk about the unicorns, uh, the Ubers, the Googles that are really trying to sort of gobble up all of the money, all of the competition. Uh, but then there's these other companies, uh, and I didn't coin this term, um, but the zebra company, you know, they're just profitable enough. They provide a good service in the world. They make enough money to pay the people who are working on it. And, and that's good enough. And if Tenglo can be that, if we can be a valuable place for theater artists and we can keep the lights on, that would be great. Uh, you know, still an open question, you know, hosting all these videos, uh, a lot of costs of bandwidth and servers. Um, we're hoping we can keep this going. Uh, we hope we're providing a valuable ser service, but um, we'll, we'll see. Stay tuned on that one. I love that zebra term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, please look it up. I'm, I, I want to um, give the correct attribution for it, but I'm just, it, there was these four women who, who wrote this article. I think it was on Medium. Um, and I wish I knew their names offhand because they, they should get the credit for that. Um, but Google um, uh, zebra uh, company and it'll come up. Barry, do you want to jump into the lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Does this mean I need to think fast? No, no, no. no. You can think as as we're just it. Sorry, we just <laughs> we don't should, really we respond. Re, we probably should rephrase this little section. Yeah, Essentially, yeah. Brian and I. It's not a conversation. It's more of us asking questions, and they're typically pretty direct questions. They're not like philosophical or anything like that. <laughs> but please get as philosophical as you yes. as you wish. <laughs> Mary, kick us off. Okay, this is my favorite question. Uh, what is one thing in the theater industry that confuses you? I guess that's philosophical. Yeah, you've already snubbed me. <laughs> See, the problem is you're asking a general manager. So my problem, my my whole, my, my business is set up on helping people understand how the theater works from a commercial point of view. See, I'm already failing at lightning round. I, get, I flunk out of lightning school. <laughs> F. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much we need to do with that. I mean, we talked a little bit about that before. You know, we, we've got to mm -hmm. find a better way to treat all of the humans on Broadway. Um, and, uh, I know there's, there's a lot of questions we're grappling with right now, but if we don't, um, uh, it's just something we have to do. It has to be our first priority as we all try to come back from COVID. Hmm. What are three adjectives that describe your ideal working environment? Quiet, focused, and calm. Um, is there something in your process that you find unique to you? I think one thing that's been a little bit attributed to KGM um, is that we can be a little bit tech forward. Um but I, I, I caution a little bit about that because, as I said before, it's all about the people at the end of the day. But we do tend to, uh, and I guess it makes sense that I found at Tenglo, which is a tech website. Uh, but we do tend to be looking at um, tools that Silicon Valley is using. Um, I don't want to give us too much credit. I think we were using Slack before everyone else was using Slack. Um, and then we're the first office to get off of Slack You know, two years ago when we were like, no, 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 always on communication, not a good thing. Um, um, so we are always looking at the tools uh, that we can be using to better run our business and run the business of Broadway shows. Um, and I like to think like we're we're always a little we're a step ahead of the, everyone else on that. What is one job in the theater industry that you would trade jobs with for one week? Only one week. Oh, I know the answer to this. I like desperately want to be a singer. I, it's like a skill I do not have. I cannot hear pitch. Um, my wife, every time I try to sing, she's like, Daniel, you got to stop. Like, I cannot live with you like that. Um, 
I, I cannot sing and I wish I had any musical ability. That's amazing. What is one hobby you have outside of theater? I like to run. And at one point in time, I, I ran marathons very poorly. Uh, and I, I'd like to get back into that. Do you have any books or resources that you find helpful to you in your process? So I read a lot about uh, the tech world and startup culture. Um, you know, I tell everyone that comes to you know, meet with us at the first website I read almost every morning is TechCrunch. But that's just my perspective, right? Like I love hearing how other startups operate. So that's why you hear me talk a lot about apps all the time. Um, I find TechCrunch very helpful uh, because I'm watching, I'm, I'm reading news about constantly how startups are failing and succeeding. Amazing. Um, okay. What is the first show you want to see when Broadway reopens? I know what show I want to see. And it's going to sound so self-serving, but you know what? You have a general manager on the program. Uh, I, I'm, I've been working on a project for a couple years now called Burn for, Born for This. It's the B.B. Wines musical. It's had a couple of out-of-town productions. Um, that deserves to be on Broadway. I want it to be on Broadway. And nothing would make me happier than that to be one of the very first shows that comes back after all of this. It's kind of a, yeah, I haven't really thought about this question in the sense of, of course, we don't know what's going to be on the table when things reopen. Um, so I love when somebody uh, brings up something that, you know, isn't confirmed for Broadway yet, um, but is hopeful of seeing it on Broadway when Broadway returns. So thank you for that. Of course. Did I flunk lightning round? You, you no. Yeah, you got like a C minus. Oh I God. think that's, that's too generous. <laughs> <laughs> so where can our listeners find you on social websites list at all yeah sure so uh check us out tenglo.com uh, that's one zero glo.com by the way can i just take a second like if you're ever naming a company uh make sure it's podcast friendly or radio friendly tenglo like the worst name in the world it makes sense when you see it right but like one zero glo dot com. Uh, just if you're for fellow entrepreneurs out there, um, <laughs> podcasts are hot these days. So tenglo.com, kgmtheatrical.com. I'm on all the socials at danielcuny.com and uh, the occasional clubhouse. Yeah. How Amazing. we first connected. Thank you so yeah. much for uh, joining us for this episode. We I really enjoyed it. Guys, this was a real treat. Thanks so much for having me on. Yay. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Page to Stage. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Page to Stage Podcast. And if you're enjoying these conversations, we would really appreciate it if you could take a couple minutes to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time. That's Brian. That's Mary. We'll see you later. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.